All right, we're here, some of us. Um, hey, my name's Ransom Kent, I'm the pastor here, and it has definitely been an odd week. Um, for those of you, how many of you here have ever lived in a hurricane zone? Like, not like here, but like in a real hurricane zone. Um, it's, it's a lot like that this week. You make these decisions, and then other people's crazy decisions affect the decisions you already made, so you've got to remake decisions. It's just been a, a crazy week, so I'm thankful for uh, this congregation's flexibility and uh, thankful for the leadership that we have as we have navigated, again, a very um, unique scenario. Uh, we normally have a children's program that is not happening this morning, and so thank you for bringing your children. We're thankful that they're here as we continue in Galatians. Um, we are in Galatians 5. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 15 this morning. In front of you, for, in front of most of you, if you need a Bible, are freshly sanitized Bibles. And I'm not kidding about that. They are, uh, all have been sanitized. So if you want to grab one of those, if you need it, uh, we offer each week that if you don't own a Bible, we would ask that you take that with you as a gift. Uh, especially in times like these, there's no more important book to own, to know, to study, to have. Uh, than the book that gives us the only hope that we have, and that is Jesus Christ. And so please take that book with you if you do not have one to call your own. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version Bible. The page number for the Pew Bible should be in your bulletin. Please follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul speaking to the Galatians, he says, "...you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth?" This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the ability to meet in person and to meet via technology. I pray for our church, Grace Presbyterian, as we are a church that loves one another. We are a family. We are close. I pray that these times uh, we would not find distance from one another, uh, but in this physical distance we would find uh, intimacy and spiritual closeness, that we would stay in contact, that we would uh, serve one another well. I pray for this sermon, this scripture, that it would be uh, well represented by me, that my words would not fail its meaning, and Lord, I pray that it would uh, cut straight to our hearts, and we'd hear what you'd have us to hear by the power of your Spirit this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Again, crazy time of decisions, uh, crazy time of decisions that we are in right now. Um, not only the day-to-day -day decisions we've made in the last couple weeks, but we have an election coming up, decisions, decisions, last Sermon in Galatians, we talked about a decision to either choose to go with the law and all of its grace, uh, gracelessness, its non-forgiveness, 
There's no Christ. There's no salvation there. Or you choose to go with faith where all those things are given freely. Salvation is given freely. Righteousness is given freely. And, and the last passage we looked at, um, it, it, it said, Here's what is the, here are the consequences of this choice and the consequences of this choice. That's what we talked about last time. Uh, this passage, it seems a little rambling. There's like a recipe for bread in here. Uh, there's some violent threats. There's the golden rule. There's cannibalism. There's, it seems very disjointed, but if we look at it, this is also about decisions. Paul is still talking about if you go this way or if you go this way. Last time it was a personal thing. If you personally believe that you can earn your salvation by the law, here's the things you can expect. And it was no less than you will be cut off from Christ. Here in this passage, we can see there's, there's a thread here. We can see the residue of a church that was doing well. It says here in verse 7, you were running well. We'll talk more in depth what that means. You were running well. And now something else has happened. And so because we can see this residue of a healthy church and this reality of an unhealthy church, we can see how this choice between law and faith affects the community that God has drawn together, the church. And so today, our sermon is not about how this affects you personally. This, this sermon, this passage, is about how either going by the law or going by faith affects us as a church, a community. And so uh, if the, the sermon's title is The Unleavened Lump, in this passage there are three marks of a healthy church. Let me list them out for you. Wash your hands. Just kidding, that's not it. No, it's not. This is spiritually healthy church. Okay, spiritually healthy church. Stop kissing is what you know. What are the other thing? Um, well, you can kiss your spouse, but not stop kissing each other. Okay. Um, so three marks of a healthy church. This church had been running well in verse seven. Something hindered them from doing the thing that allowed them to run well. And so we can see this residue. We're going to pull this thread and see what consists. What a healthy church consists of. So first, the first marks in verse seven, verses seven and eight. You are running well. This phrase means, uh, it's a word that means you are developing in a positive way. So as Paul's talking to the Galatians, he's saying, look at back at what you were doing. The what you were doing back then, it was positive. You were developing. You were moving forward. And you connect that to ver the end of verse 7, and you can see how and, and, and by what standard they were running well. They were obeying the truth, it says. So they were running well. Something hindered them from what? Obeying the truth. Running well equals obeying the truth. Again, back to this kind of uh, cycle of our, our building of our faith. Remember this. Learn the truth. Affirm the truth. Obey the truth or trust it. This is what we talked about in our last sermon. Those three things. It's the cycle. We do that over and over again in our Christian lives. And so what happened here in Galatians before the false teaching they had been practicing this cycle. They had been learning the truth of the Gospel. They had been affirming the truth of the Gospel. They had been trusting and obeying the truth of the Gospel. And what happened? Remember from that last sermon. It, when, you've, when you learn and affirm and trust, your faith is built up. Your faith animates your love. It, it brings your love to life. And through your love, you may serve others and love God. And so they had been practicing this cycle and, and seeing this health. We can understand from this that a healthy church is not a church that is robust in numbers. Praise the Lord this morning, right? It has nothing to do with how many people come. It has nothing to do with how much money gets put in the offering plate. That, that, those are not the benchmarks of a healthy church. Uh, some of you may know Kyle Sims. 
His claim to fame is he's the world's tallest ARP. The ARPs are a denomination. He must be seven feet tall. He wrote an article this week on this very topic, all right? And here's what he said about the health in the, health in the church. He says, it is the gospel inside the sinner, changing them and transforming them. It is God working in the heart of his people through the means of grace in the church. The Galatian church was experiencing just that. The gospel had been put inside the sinner. As they focused on it, they learned about it, they affirmed it and obeyed it, it was developing them spiritually. However, something hindered them. It says in the second part of verse 7, who hindered you from obeying the truth? The false teaching of the Judaizers, remember this, came in and it stopped this spiritual growth. They had been running well. They had been obeying the truth. They had been progressing in a good way. And then this false teaching from men saying, you can't have grace for free, you silly Galatians. You can't have it for free. You have to earn it. And here's how you earn it. Here is the law. That was the teaching. It hindered them from health. It hindered them from that cycle of building their faith and letting love overflow. What we can learn from this is the false teachings of men hinder our spiritual progress. The false teachings of men hinder our spiritual progress. Look at verse 8. Paul reiterates, this persuasion, this false teaching, is not from Him who calls you. Who is the one who called the Galatians? You go back to Galatians 1. It was God who called them in grace through Jesus Christ. And so this false teaching, this, this wrong teaching, hindered them, and it wasn't from God. We should mark this church and understand that what we believe matters. It really matters. What we believe matters. If we subscribe to the teachings of men and they are not the teachings of God, what is going to happen to our spiritual progress? It will be hindered. So the application question for this first mark, a church that is healthy grows spiritually together. That is the first mark of a healthy church, then the question for us as a church is what is the foundation of our church being healthy? What do we have to do to seek a healthy body, to seek a healthy church community? Here's the answer. Individually and collectively, we have to partake in this cycle of building faith. Individually and collectively, guess what we have to do? Learn the truth. Individually and collectively, we have to affirm the truth together. Individually and collectively, we have to obey the truth together. Together. The the, the Christian walk is not just a... a, 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 No man is an island, you see. We're, We're not in this alone. God never intended for us to get saved and then be alone. We are saved into a community to develop together. And so this process, of, this process of, of building our faith, so the process of learning and affirming and obeying together, here's what it is called. And I accidentally just said it a second ago, so you already know. Discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning together, affirming together, and obeying and trusting together. That's all the discipleship is. It's not this special thing save for people who are super mature to do with those who are super not mature. Every single one of us, if we're going to be a healthy church, every single one of us needs to have two things. One is someone pulling us along. Someone in our life who's challenging us on what we know about God, what we affirm about God, and what we obey in God. And we also need someone that we're pulling along. 
Sometimes that's a mutual relationship. But every single one of us, if we're going to be a healthy church, needs to partake in that cycle. Learn, affirm, obey. Learn, affirm, obey. Together. Not just on our own. And so as we do that, we'll be growing together spiritually. Together. And as we grow spiritually together, guess what? Health will abound in this place. Healthy church life is a team effort, 100%. That togetherness idea continues. If you look at verse 9, 10, and skip down to 12, those three verses give us the second mark of a healthy church. So a, a healthy church grows spiritually together. A healthy church dwells in peaceful agreement is the second mark from this passage. Dwells in peaceful agreement. Here we get the bread recipe. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Here's what Paul is saying here. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's using a baking illustration to make his point. And here's what he's saying. When a little bit of something that is bad or something that is, that is designed to spread <laughs> gets into the lump, it spreads very quickly. The illustration makes itself, does it not? All right? John Stott says, one of the most serious things about evil and error, you hear those two things, evil, sin, and error, false teaching, is they, they both spread. They don't isolate themselves. Sin and false teaching have a tendency to spread. And so listen to this. As cliche as this is going to be, as seriously as we're taking the coronavirus, right? as seriously as we take this. Now, what are the good answers? There's a spectrum here. Should we panic about coronavirus? No, we should not. Should we ignore it? No, we should not. What should be our, what's a good response to a crisis like this? Measured, intentional response. In the same way, as a church, we need to have a measured, intentional response to what? Evil and error. We shouldn't panic. Ah! We shouldn't ignore it. Absolutely not. We should have a measured, intentional response. Before we get into what that looks like, because it's in here, Let's talk about agreement about what, okay? This is not just regular agreement. Look at the beginning of verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord, in the Lord, that you will take no other view. Here's what's important to understand about agreement in the church. Um, I was talking with John Tyler a while ago. He's on our commission for the minister and his work for our presbytery, which that they have the great job of handling all the problems that sessions can't handle themselves, and it gets passed up, and it's just, it's hard. And, and he said the other day, I'm going to quote him, and hopefully he doesn't get in trouble, he said, I'm so tired of hearing people use the phrase for the peace and the purity of the church just to, to, to push through their own agenda. Here's what I want you to understand. This is not a, an agreement to what Paul has said. This is not an agreement to what's, what another man's opinion. The agreement that, that the view that he wants them to take, the agreement that Paul wants them to have is based on one thing and one thing alone, the Word of God. The Word of God. And so, this peaceful agreement, there has to be a decided resource, and that is God's Scripture. And then... Here's the other piece of verse 10, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. There has to be a, a, an agreed upon source for peace and thinking, and then there has to also be a way to wrangle in when peace is not afoot. They have to bear the penalty. So the peace is established by the Word of God, and when that peace and that purity established by the Word of God is jeopardized, the church must act. The church must act. 
Again, we can't ignore it. Oh, it'll work itself out. We can't panic. Ah! We can't do that. We must have a measured, intentional response. And so look at, look at Paul's response in verse 12. You may think this looks like not measured and intentional, but here we go. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let me code this for young ears. Um, what he's saying is the ritual that, he, that the Judaizers want everyone to partake in, he hopes that the implement used for that would slip and it would take more than intended. Hopefully that is good. Um, hopefully that is uh, coded enough. Whew. First sermon, having kids in the service, and this is the passage? Okay. Okay. Here's what I want you to hear. Paul is not on, a, on like a bloodlust, crazed rage. Paul cares very deeply and passionately about two things. The status of the church and the Word of God, the Gospel. He cares about those two things. And he is using hyperbolic language to make sure they understand how seriously he takes it. He takes the Word of God and the church seriously. Spurgeon says this, Depend upon it, every man who troubles a church with false doctrine. He is amenable to the high court above. Sooner or later, he may expect even temporal judgment here below. So, whether or not the church acts upon it, there is always the high court which will act upon it. It is guaranteed. And at times, we as a church need to act upon it as well, both in error and evil. And so, I want you to understand, this is why we should appreciate that we are a Presbyterian government church. It's not our theology. Presbyterian isn't our theology. It's the form of our government. And so in the form of our government, our denomination lays out how we ought to respond to evil and error. It's called the book of discipline. And some people are like, oh, it's so nerdy. But listen, here's what it does. It allows us not to panic. It allows us not to ignore it. It allows us to give a measured, intentional response to both evil and error based on the Word of God and not the opinion of man. And so we should be thankful that we have a church that for 200 years, the ARP has forethought for, for churches that, that this is serious. We need to, to keep serious the peace and the purity of the church. And here's how you can do it in a measured and intentional way. And so the question for us as a church, as a local church, is by what standard should we seek peace and agreement with one another? By what standard? I want you to recall the very first sermon I preached. It's 53 sermons ago. All right? 53 sermons ago. I, I, I'm going to quote myself. Is that? I don't know if that's good or bad. Okay? Here's what I said in my very first sermon, and it stands true. What grace can and will do isn't about me or you or our elders or our location or how good our programming is. What grace can and will do is 100% dependent on who Jesus is. It's about the mission of Jesus Christ, the work He does through His church. So what, do we, what is peace and purity based on here? Brothers and sisters, I, I pray that it is based on the Word of God. Here's something that, that really attracted to me to grace when I first ran into the, the posting online for this job. This church has not been around for 50 years. Many churches that have been around for, for a long time have these things, we call them golden calves, right? That, that they have raised, they, they aren't important, they aren't necessary, they aren't required, but they've raised it to the level of, we worship this thing. Grace doesn't have a lot of those things. Praise the Lord. And so my hope, my prayer for this place is that we are so focused on discipling one another, 
growing together spiritually. That we are so focused on winning the loss to Jesus Christ that those things never become important that aren't important. That's my prayer for this place. Now as humans, here's the problem. We all love certain things. We want to raise those things higher than they ought to be. We all have agendas. We all think we know what's best. And so the only thing we can do is we can pray, Lord, have mercy on us. Keep us from that awful future where we're arguing about curtains, right? Who wants that? Who wants curtains, right? And so how do we keep this focus? How do we stay the course? If we are not there now, how do we keep from being there in the future? Look at verses 13 through 15 with me. It's the third mark. The answer to that question is the third mark of a healthy church, which is a healthy church engages in loving service. So to review, we have a healthy church grows spiritually. They do that together. A healthy church dwells in peaceful agreement. And third, a healthy church engages in loving service. And so through practicing loving service, is what we're saying, we can maintain peaceful agreement and unity. If we worry about what we're unified on, oftentimes that can be the moment where we find the most disunity. But if we're lovingly serving one another, those things tend to take care of themselves. Let's see what Paul has to say. He says in the beginning, he says in verse 13, for freedom you were called, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is a revisitation of two sermons ago. The passage just before this. Freedom from the law is not an opportunity to do whatever you feel like doing. The Galatians saw their freedom. They understood their freedom. And what did they do before they were hindered? They obeyed the truth in freedom. Their love was animated. They were part of this cycle of discipleship. They were learning and affirming and obeying. Learning and affirming and obeying together. And as they did that, their, their, their spirit-powered love came to life. And then what happened? They served one another. They served one another. And their neighbors. Fellow church members and those around them out of that spirit-powered love. And so at this point, before we read verse 14, what I'm hoping is happening for us as a church in regard to the law through this series on Galatians, I hope we're beginning to get some clarity on what the law is. We spent the first half of this book saying, no law, no law, no law, but now it's coming back into play based on faith and faith working through love. But here's, here's two things you should remember about the law. First, as the law pertains to us, what is it? It's two things. It's a prison... And it's a moral chaperone, nagging, nagging, nagging. That's as the law pertains to us as broken humans, that's the best the law can be. Okay? However, the law as it relates to God is what? A reflection of his character, a reflection of who he is, a reflection of his perfection and his purity. And so, here, as we embrace our freedom, our freedom from what? The fact that the law no longer serves as a prison or a moral chaperone. As we embrace that freedom, what we can grow deeper in our, our love and our faith. And as we reflect the character of God more and more and more as we grow deeper. That's how the law is going to work for us as Christians. We don't have to be locked into it for our justification any longer. No, we have righteousness and forgiveness and grace and mercy and Jesus all because of grace, 
all because of God's gift. And because we have these things, the law then becomes something that's actually capable of being followed. Why? Because it reflects who God is. And as we grow deeper in our faith, our love is animated and we can be more like Christ. And so, in that process of discipleship, in that going to the Word of God, we, we well up with love for one another. And we end up serving one another and serving our neighbors. And so it says, for the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why is he going back to the law? Because this is the summary of the Gospel. One author this week said, the, the law loves to complicate the law. Gospel loves to simplify the law. And so the law is this. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will never violate the law of God. See? What's interesting though is Paul gives the outcome of an unhealthy church. I think it's a real warning to these Galatians. I think they're heading down this road. They've got to make a choice. Are we going to be that healthy church we once were? Or are we going to end up with the results of an unhealthy church? Take a look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. These words, bite and devour, it means uh, very literally chopping little pieces off of one another. All right? It's very vulgar, but think about this. What are the Judaizers concerned with? Circumcision. They're, they're, they are, it's a literal picture of the division that is happening in, happening in the Galatian church. What is the division? It's overtaking small pieces of flesh off one another. One another. And so Paul's speaking very literally, but he's also speaking very spiritually. He's saying, listen, an unhealthy church does what? How does an unhealthy church live? Pick, pick, pick. Bite, bite, bite. Cut, cut, cut. Why? Because you're nitpicking what everyone else is doing. Why? Because you're living by the law. This is very real for some of us. Some of us have been through that very thing. We've been in those churches. Nit, 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 nit. Bite, bite, bite. Cut, cut, cut. It's all too real. And what is the end of that church? Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That is utter destruction. It's utter destruction. It's gone. So an unhealthy church focused on the law, focused on nitpicking, what happens? You bite and devour one another until what? It, it's all gone. It's gone. And so the question for us as a church grace is then how can we stay the course of loving service? How can we stay the course let me, let me say this. I, I think praise the Lord in this moment of time, I think we serve each other better than we cut each other. I believe that is true about this place. Praise the Lord. Only by the grace of God is that true. We're not perfect at it. But I think we're better at one than we are the other. And so if we're going to stay that course, you and me together are going to have to commit to that. We have to commit to seeking health. Seeking peace. Seeking spiritual growth. And so what's the key? The key, according to this verse, is understanding our freedom and using it to serve one another. And so as we see our freedom from the law, we then have the ability to truly learn who God is. He's approachable now. Why? Through Jesus Christ. We can affirm who God is. We can read the Scriptures and understand He has given us everything we need spiritually. We can affirm that. And then we actually have the Spirit-powered ability to live those things out and to trust them. And as we grow in our faith, we'll grow in our love. And as we grow in our love, we'll grow in our service to one another. And as we grow in our service to one another, 
these other things that don't matter, these little agendas, will go by the side. Because serving one another will become more important than getting what we want. And so, how do we stay the course? Nothing short of a lifetime commitment to knowing and loving Jesus Christ together. Together. Now, we skipped verse 11. Some of you may have noticed that. Uh, it's, a, it's an interjection into the, the passage. It actually is not connected to anything. Um, Paul's responding to another accusation. And what he's saying here, he says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying, listen, if I were still teaching as if I did when I was a Pharisee, why, why am I in so much trouble with these, these Judaizers? Apparently somebody had accused him of actually, at the end of their argument against Paul, they said, well, actually, if you think about it, Paul actually teaches what we teach. And he's responding to that. But it's this phrase in the second part of verse 11 that really ties all this together. Look at this. In that case... The offense of the cross has been removed. Passing statement, so profound. Listen, there's only one thing that can guide and create a healthy church. There's only one thing. There's only one thing that if you remove it, if you abandon it, you create a biting and cutting church. There's only one thing that when it's changed, it leavens the whole lump. It corrupts everything. There's only one thing when ignored brings a whole community to unhealth, and that is the offense of the cross. In other words, the gospel. What's all this about? What's all this about? Are you going to stand on the true gospel or abandon it? That's what Paul's talking about. The whole book of Galatians. And so an unhealthy church, what? Abandons the gospel. A healthy church stands on the offensive gospel. And so the meaning of this passage Summarized in one statement is this the offensive gospel, the offensive gospel creates a growing, peaceful, loving church community. The offensive gospel creates a growing, peaceful, loving church community. Well, what do you mean, Ransom? Let me tell you a story real quick. Uh, one of my first sermons as an intern at Covenant Pres Church, it's probably still online somewhere, so maybe you probably have heard it. Um, during my sermon, I was describing sin. And I called everyone in the church, including myself, a sinful dirtbag, okay? I said, we're all sinful dirtbags, is what I said. And so because I was a student of theology, my sermons were all uh, critiqued. And so I met with the pastor who was critiquing my sermon. And this wonderful old woman, I don't know her name to this day, but came to him afterwards and said, that was really offensive to me. I grew up in the time where there were, I guess, hippies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But apparently, dirtbag was something connected to hippies, and that was very offensive to her. And so I remember in my meeting with this pastor, I thought, oh, man, I don't want to offend. I'm so sorry. Um, and so I made the note in my mind, try not to use such offensive language like dirtbag again, right? Um, you can see I've come quite a long ways. Uh, <laughs> um, but listen, here's the deal. If I could have responded in that moment as the pastor that I, that I am now with the convictions I have now, I may have found out her name and gone to her, maybe written her a note and said, Dear Edna, I don't know if that's her name, Dear Edna, I am so glad you were offended. And let me tell you why. Because the phrase, the problem is the, the phrase sinful dirtbag, whatever that meant to her, doesn't even cut it to our sin. It doesn't cut it. And so when we talk about the offensive gospel, here's what I mean. If we could arrive at a real, 
accurate understanding of the actual offensiveness of our own sin, it's then and only then we could see the actual value of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Sinful dirtbag and all. And so, a gospel that offends is good. A gospel that offends is good. It's an accurate gospel. Why? It tells us our exact standing before God without Jesus Christ. And it's not good news. It's not good news. It tells us that we are incapable of saving ourselves from that place. Can't happen. Not even a little bit can we contribute to it. And then it has the audacity to condescend and say, since you can't save yourself, you have to rely on someone who's much better than you to save you in your place. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says this, using the same idea, the offense of the cross. He says this to the Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified. The same word here, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, the gospel, what it does when it's accurately portrayed, people who want to earn it themselves say, how dare you say I'm not good enough? How dare you say it's, I'm not good enough? I can do this. I don't need someone else to coddle me along. To those who are serving themselves, who use their freedom for, for the opportunity of the flesh, they say, wow, you are silly. As if I need someone to save me. The thing about it is that the, the Gospel is true. So though they find offense, it is true. And so I want you to know this. As your pastor, one of my goals each week, one of my prayers for the preaching ministry in this church is that week after week, people come in here and get offended. Now, not by my language or not by my face, right, or whatever, but by the, the reality of the truth of the Gospel. And my prayer is that in that moment of being offended, how dare you say I'm not good enough? Oh, well, that's ridiculous. In that moment of being offended, they stumble across the great, gracious love that is offered in the same breath for them. Because the reality is, even if you're just like me, a sinful dirtbag, if you're just like all of us here, we're in the same boat as me, grace is offered. God has invited you to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So let us be offended. But we must stand on that. Church, I want you to hear this. Our only hope our only hope isn't toilet paper, right? Our only hope isn't hand sanitizer. Our only hope is, that, is not that this blows over by college football season. Lord have mercy, right? Amen, that's right. Our only hope is this gospel that offends. That's our only hope. Our only hope is to be offended by it so that we may know what we need from Jesus. And so if we're going to be healthy, church, I think we all want to be healthy. Who wants to be in an unhealthy church? Nobody. Grace, if we're going to remain this community of health, if we're going to increase in our health, if we're going to run the race well, obeying the truth, we have to stand firmly on this Gospel and nothing else. Nothing else. 
We have to remain stalwart in our commitment to it. Let me pray for us. Lord, have grace on grace. Lord, we are humans. We're broken. We're sinful. Beyond our own knowledge, we are sinful. I pray that Your grace would allow us to see that by faith, we are accepted and loved and invited into the presence of God. That we are given the Holy Spirit only through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That truth frees us up to do so much, not just for ourselves, as the Scripture says. May we not use it as an opportunity for ourselves. May we use it as an opportunity to serve each other in love. Why? Because we're all sinners saved by grace. And so God, the grace I pray on grace is that You would help us, despite ourselves, to become more and more healthy. May we dwell together in discipleship, urging one another on to learn more, affirm more, and obey more. Not because we earn anything from it, but because we have the ability to do so given us by the Holy Spirit. May our faith deepen together, not just alone. Together. Lord, may we in the time to come be able to have measured intentional response to both evil and error in this place. Those are not fun topics, Lord. But You have given us a way to see when those things occur. And I pray for our session and our people that we would have wisdom beyond ourselves to step into those things and to see the outcome be reconciliation in Your glory. And I pray, Lord, as we move forward, we would not get stuck on our agendas or stuck on what we believe or stuck on, uh, on the differences of there, but we would just lovingly serve one another out of the love that is brought to life by our faith. And those who come that are new, that they would be served as we've served each other for a long time and that no matter how uh, this place goes, small or big, no matter how much money we have, small or big, that we would love each other and serve each other well as a family. And that family would serve and reach this community in the name of Jesus Christ and that many would come to know You who do not already. I pray that grace would be healthy. In Jesus' name, Amen.